right foot for Bedoya. Right edge of the box. Bedoya oh. from distance. Big save, Joe Willis. Diving down to his right, Joe parries it away. Nashville SC now scoreless in its last 320 minutes after a nil-nil draw in Philadelphia. That highlight courtesy of Will Bowling on 104.5 The Zone. And now it's the final two matches before playoff time, both at home. Saturday against New England. Decision day, October 21st against Red Bulls. We're here to get you ready for it all. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, under most circumstances, I think a nil-nil draw at Philly is not even just a decent result, but probably a a good one. Mm -hmm. Some cases, Mm -hmm. a great one. But given what Nashville needed to climb the table and given its ongoing struggles in front of goal, Am I reasonable to be disappointed by that result? And is Logan Elliott reasonable to say, perhaps I'm just goal starved, but is it crazy? I would have preferred a 3-2 loss (laughs) because at least that would have given Nashville some confidence in front of goal. Yeah, I think it's it's reasonable to be disappointed because of the context in which it happened. I would say the results that created that context are far more disappointing um, than feeling the need to go to Philly and, and score a bunch of goals. Very few teams are able to do that, but... Nashville has put itself in this situation where they needed to, basically. Um, we're unable to do so. And for that reason, especially when you see um, Atlanta getting a draw, almost almost taking a loss, and, and a win for Nashville there would have really kind of provided the opportunity to catch them in the table. Those are the sorts of things that the Philly game isn't necessarily the problem. But given the yeah. situation that Nashville put itself in with the Philly game, the result can still be a little disappointing. And the way they got there can be disappointing. Yeah, I would never prefer a loss to a draw. But if I were to pick a scenario where it would maybe be almost preferable, it's what Logan is saying here. Mm -hmm. For a couple of reasons. Number one, Nashville's going to finish seventh, most likely. We'll get into playoff scenarios in a second. So loss versus draw doesn't make a material difference unless they prove me wrong here in the last two matches and results elsewhere break Nashville's way. Number two... You know, when you finish seventh, if if that is the scenario, I'd rather play Orlando than finishing sixth and probably playing that Philly team. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I think, you know, I get it. I get the desire to want to see this club do things in front of goal, gain that confidence, especially on the road. Having said that, I'm with you. It's probably a moot point because that's not really going to happen in Philadelphia, right? It's just not Mm -hmm. a likely scenario. Yeah. And that's why that's why you can still be disappointed because they, they did not win the game. The issue is what you should be disappointed in is a home loss to Orlando, a, a loss at Chicago. The things that have already happened that put yeah. Nashville in the position to feel like they needed more out of this match. Nashville sits in seventh now, as we mentioned. It cannot finish worse than that. With the draw, it clinched uh, a spot above Chicago, who also, I think, lost. I don't even, I, I kind of forget Chicago. Didn't around. they beat Miami? Well, they beat Miami. Oh, no, that was, that was midweek. Yeah. That was midweek. Then they lost um, to Charlotte, Charlotte, to Charlotte, yeah. who's now technically still alive. So, anyway, because of all that, Nashville cannot fall below seventh, which means they avoid that dreaded eight nine play in game. That's good, at least. But the boys in gold cannot serve as the primary host in their best of three opening playoff series. Um, They're not going to finish top four. The best they can finish is fifth. Is it fair to say then, now that we know they're not in that top four position, fair to say they've fallen short of their chief regular season goal? Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say they've fallen short of the chief regular season goal. I think once you know that you are, are not getting a home playoff match, you can kind of, as you did a moment ago, look at the matchups. I know Orlando just won in Nashville uh, within the past few days here, but I, if you look at the top four, I don't want to play Cincinnati on the road. No. I don't want to play Philadelphia on the road. Uh, it seemed like Nashville did not on Saturday either. I um, don't want to play Columbus <laughs> on the road. 
Orlando is probably your best matchup there. So, um, yes, you you fell short of the goal, but once you fall short of that goal, I think they are set up to be pretty successful in the postseason. If if they're going to have any success at all, it's set up as well as possible. Yeah, April 1st might as well have been last year at this point, but Nashville did win on that day in Orlando in a pretty convincing performance, a 2-0 mm-hmm. victory there. So uh, take heart, Nashville. Your most likely uh, playoff opponent, and Orlando is guaranteed to finish second, um, is a team that Nashville can have uh, can have and has had some success against. I, yeah, I'd say they were the better team against Orlando for much of that match that they lost. They, they lost kind of on uh, against the run of play. Uh, so here's what happens, though. Here's what needs to happen for Nashville to rise up the standings. Fifth is to, still technically feasible. Therefore, of course, sixth is too. Uh, New England sits six points ahead of Nashville. Both teams have two games left to play. So obviously then logic would tell you Nashville needs to win both. New England needs to lose both. Uh, They would have then the same number of wins, which is the second tiebreaker. And then Nashville needs to make up a goal differential of five. Of course, one of those two games, Tim, is against New England. So it's always great when you have an opportunity leading into decision day to control your destiny at least a little bit. And Nashville at least is playing one of those teams that it's up against for one of those final spots. Yeah, and it's important to keep in mind, if Nashville wins two games, they get two more plus goal differential. If New England loses two games, they get at least two more minus goal differential. If Nashville wins by multiple goals, they make up that difference definitionally, assuming uh, New England also loses to Philly and Nashville also beats Red Bull. So the opportunity is there. Um, New England hasn't quite fallen apart like I think a lot of people thought they would um, when Bruce Arena uh, was placed on leave and then ultimately uh, resigned, I believe. I don't think he was fired. I think he resigned. But um, they have not done enough to stay out of Nashville's reach. And that's, you know, the way, especially the way Nashville's playing, the most you can ask for at this stage. It's it's certainly a situation I see as being decently feasible. Atlanta is even more feasible, at least mathematically. Nashville four points back of United, who has just one game left. And it's a trip to Cincinnati. Now, what is Cincinnati in its last game of the year? It's the Supporters Shield winners. It's already clinched that. <laughs> it's probably rotating a little bit, you would think, but maybe not terribly because they're going to have some time off. And so, you know, it, it could be that they rotate mildly here um, and are still pretty decent. Um, the Boys in Gold would need Atlanta to lose or draw on decision day. Then again, Nashville needs to win both remaining matches. I won't go into to goal differential stuff here, although basically you win twice you're looking decent as long as it yeah. doesn't win in Cincinnati here possible I still like the chances of passing New England even just a little bit better since Nashville plays them and New England takes on Philadelphia on decision day yeah with Atlanta their stoppage time equalizer against Columbus really kind of changed the calculus here Nashville would have effectively controlled its own destiny basically had Atlanta not done that obviously if if Atlanta had had ended up losing that game and Nashville had beaten Philly in Philly a tall ask, yes, as when we've talked about it already, but Nashville would have been in great shape. Um, it, the situation is, um, like you mentioned, Atlanta may be, you know, f- fewer points ahead of Nashville, but they might be tougher to to pass just because there isn't that six pointer that Nashville can can basically do its own work. So what's your percentage likelihood? I don't you have spreadsheets. Maybe you have an yeah. actual percentage likelihood, or you can feelings ball this one. <laughs> what's the percentage likelihood in your view that Nashville wins out? Yeah, I don't, I don't ha- have them set up that way. But my percentage likelihood that Nashville wins out is is pretty low. I, th- I think if they if they don't beat New England by multiple goals, I don't think they're going to put their best foot forward against Red Bulls, um, because that is essentially pointless. And this is a club that's dealt with health. I would put it, you know, it's not shockingly low. I think Nashville will be the favorite in both games. They're teams that are um, only slightly ahead of them and well behind them in the table. So. 
it is a situation where they'll be the favorite hosting both of those teams. But, um, you know, the the likelihood of, of winning versus drawing, especially the way Nashville's been playing in front of goal, can be pretty low. I'd put it at maybe 20% to win both games. Ooh, I'd, I'd put it higher than that, but I don't think it happens. I say the balance goes well, against uh, if you Even if you just said, like, one-third likelihood of win-loss draw in both of those yeah. games, it's, you know, the percentages get slim much quicker than you realize because it's possible that's to fair. Draw. If, if you had to win or lose it'd be a different story that's fair and they're playing two teams who have still a lot to play for new england is of course in the playoffs but but still has a chance to be a primary host uh they're in fifth but they're two points back of columbus three points back of a philly team they will still play and then red bulls are fighting to get into the playoffs they're tied on the playoff line but currently sitting outside playoff position United are done. So yeah, DC United, DC United is in the playoffs <laughs> right now, but knows that it is impossible for it to make the playoffs. That's the saddest situation <laughs> to be in. It's really funny because yeah, Red Bulls just need a point. Chicago just need a point. Charlotte need a point in their last two games <laughs> against Miami. Uh, who's yeah. eliminated? Who's out? NYCFC's hanging around. So, so we're kind of previewing what we're going to do today, actually. Which is first of all, we're going to talk Nashville. Three questions that define the rest of Nashville's season. And then second, three words about each Eastern Conference playoff contender. And we cut things off at Red Bulls. We're uh, technically Chicago, Charlotte, NYCFC still around. Technically, kind of DC United is out. But with Wayne Rooney gone, it's a chance to reflect on them. So three questions that define the rest of Nashville's season. Then three words about each Eastern Conference playoff contender. Because, Tim, I feel like we've obviously gone deep on Nashville every week always for the past three Mm -hmm. seasons. But we've not reached the job, right? <laughs> it is the job. But another part of the job is to survey the context and the landscape. And it's a chance to, to catch up on doing that. So are you ready? Let's do it. Speaking of playing catch up, though, you know where I'm going with this. You know what's out. Check out this little guy. All right. So Great radio we here. don't have a YouTube feed. <laughs> Tim has shown me a drink token to ML Rose that I'm sure he will be using very soon. Those are in short supply around my house. They don't sit around very long. But congrats on having one. Yeah, no, it's one of the things we always, you know, we talk about Amo Rose twice each week and we have to think of new angles to talk about. And and one that we don't talk about enough is is the happy hour, uh, two for ones. Um, that's they they give you these lovely little poker chips. I'm I'm learning it's it's magnetic, it's sticking to my wallet. So that's something that I didn't realize Ooh, before. All right. You turn that bad boy in, you get you a, a second beer for the price of one. <laughs> That's good. That's a great deal. And and again, they do two for ones in a way that I really respect. They don't just surprise you with two beers. I mean, that's not a bad surprise. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh no, the, yes, this is a horrible surprise of two beers. But but we've all been in the place where we only have time for one beer, or maybe we want a high gravity and we don't we can't really do two of those and feel confident about you know getting home right away. Like whatever the reasoning, obviously don't don't consume and drive. But you know, the the, the token is a much better token of appreciation if you will for for the diner than throwing two beers at you in my opinion that way you have the discretion yes you can redeem it right then or you can hold on to it i don't think they expire either right you can you can bring them back in whatever it's a great yeah, deal yeah happy hours the uh, the way to go and a chance for a couple of course of um happy hour spectaculars before two final matches red bulls uh decision day and then new england the week before that ml rose on 8th avenue your place to go but if it's not game day and you want to drop by uh, the Charlotte location, the Capitol View location, the Mount Juliet location, or even start dreaming about that new Inglewood location <laughs> that's coming, you can do that as well. All right, Tim, let's move on. Well, it can be a multitude of things, right? Um, it, it can be execution. 
I thought tonight it might have been more so about choices. I thought the, the, the centre-back Lowe did a very good job on a couple of occasions, but the movement was good, the connections into that final third were good, and then it's that final moment, that choice, and that ability to find a little bit of space and, and get your finish off, and it is very much um, the most difficult part of the game, of course. I'm delighted with Adam Stein. Of course, I'd love to have seen some reward for that. But unfortunately, against the side that are just as, as tough to play against as we are, there was no breakthrough for either team. You just heard from Gary Smith, post-Philadelphia, answering the question that we're going to ask in just a minute, answering it in the context of what happened at least against Philadelphia. Why the stagnant attack? And Gary, of course, ticking off the different options here. You know, is it execution? Is it tactics? Yada, yada, yada. Tim, I'm interested to see whether you agree. He thinks here it's not necessarily chemistry in the final third, which we've talked about being an issue Mm -hmm. here recently, and therefore maybe not about tactical choice, but just about choices by individual players and individual moments. You can have that in one game and not score. And that's what we call a small sample size, and it can happen. Do you think that's the broader issue with this team? Is it is it individual choices or quality in the final third, or is there more of a tactical or chemistry issue on a broader level than, than Gary's giving credit for against Philadelphia? Yeah, I think uh, it's obviously some of everything, right? I, when you go to Philly and you're playing against a Philly team that is uh, consistently difficult to beat basically anywhere, but especially so on the on the banks of the Delaware River there, you're going to make some tactical choices where you aren't taking a ton of risks because you don't expect them to pay off that much and you don't want the the downside of, of taking that risk. So I think for the Philadelphia game, and I think it can apply to the Orlando game too, with certain opponents, you just worry that they're good enough to beat you if you take a few more risks. Obviously, Nashville's issues extend much further than that, although we have talked about how in League's Cup, there seemed to be some pressure off. There, there was not the downside of of what happens if we don't take points here um, because it was, I guess, technically an exhibition tournament other than the CONCACAF Champions Cup bids. But it is a situation where Nashville can both need something but also make choices that make it such that, um, you know, no matter how well the individuals play chemistry-wise, essentially if Hani Mukhtar isn't getting it done on the break, you aren't scoring goals. And I think some of those choices were made against Philly that doesn't erase that some of the other stuff is also coming into play as well in other games. All right. So that'll be the first of three questions we asked that, that I feel are the three most pressing questions that will define Nashville's finish to the regular season and ultimate playoff result. So number one is what Gary Smith just endeavored to answer and what you just kind of previewed. Let's get into the how Nashville can fix it. Number one, how can Nashville fix its scoring issue? If there are multiple factors here at play, and I mm-hmm. agree that there are, what is the biggest single solution that can put Nashville in better position to put goals on the scoreboard? Yeah, I think number one is is to just play loose like they were during uh, the cup play because there's, as we spent the beginning of the show talking about, they can't get lower than seventh. They probably won't get higher than fifth, and they certainly won't um, get up to fifth unless they open things up and score a bunch of goals. There is no downside at this stage to the table. Uh, you know, I think you look at um, maybe Gary Smith's job security, and I think there might be a point number that he's more comfortable seeing, but it's not going to change where they end up in the table. So go for it. Um, I think open mm-hmm. things up. Obviously, we have seen some of this team's best scoring happen in the opposite situation. Um, get an early lead and then let opponents try to push forward and bunker and counter a little bit and let Hani Mukhtar get into transition. But I think we've also seen during 
during the cup that they can open things up and, and play fun soccer. They can, they can win games four three. We know they can do that. And there's, yep. there's no downside to trying to do that for these final two matches. I completely agree. I, again, here for sure. I'd almost rather see a three, two loss or a four, three loss than a scoreless draw. I think, you know, because again, it's pretty immaterial on the table unless Nashville really goes for it and thrives. I think they need to channel their inner Red Bulls. And maybe it's a bad year to reference that for a Red Bulls team <laughs> that sits in 10th press, elevate mm-hmm. the press. And, you know, I think Nashville deserves more credit than they get sometimes for employing a mid block press and creating traps in the, in the center third of the field, push that forward a little bit. You know, the other factor there is you've got the ability to either rotate some bodies or you've got, you don't have a midweek game. You have two, two games in two weeks. So you can wear guys out a little bit more <laughs> into the playoffs. I think Nashville's best asset in the attack so often is the mistakes of its opponents Mm -hmm. and forcing those mistakes, especially when you're at home for two matches, you've got the extra bit of feelings ball, the extra bit of energy that might come from the crowd being behind you. And I think the other piece of that is Jacob Schaffelberg needs to be in this lineup. He fits well with what Nashville wants to do there. His speed, his peskiness, get a four, two, three, one instead of the diamond, put him wide, put Fafa on the other side and, create pressure to widen the pitch to me that is what you do Tim. so i I guess i agree with you that you have to open things up for me that's how you open things up is by trying to force more mistakes and more vulnerable positions and we've seen nashville do that some but i think Mm -hmm. now it's time to double down on that yeah um i think i agree with you in some principles i think the the next question that you're going to ask is going to impact has had is my uh, answer is going to be directly more correlated with that so okay. let's, let's rock and roll here well let's do it so number 2 then is what can Nashville do to be better at home they have the fourth highest average reported attendance for what that's worth it's not worth a lot because Nashville has the largest soccer specific stadium and it's reported attendance we always know that doesn't always match actual attendance either way Top half, top third of the league in not only home attendance, but I would say home environment at this Mm -hmm. point. And yet they have just the eighth most points per match in the East at home. They're winless there in the last four matches. And just one goal has been scored in those four. This is not the Nashville that we saw in, say, the summer of soccer in 2021 when they were tearing things up at home. How does Nashville get back to that at Jodas Park? Yeah, I think a big part of it is is what you were just talking about with Jacob Schaffelberg. I actually think sticking with the four four two diamond, but playing it the way that they were shortly before um, the league's cut began, um, get either Schaffelberg or Picot up top and just send those dudes long. Let them go out on the run. If you're going to play Red Bull ball, as, as you just advocated, be a bit more Red Bully about it. Send the ball long to your speedy guys and hope that they're going to be able to run it down. Maybe lay it off to Sam Surridge or maybe drop it back to Hani Mukhtar. Allow Mukhtar to get on the ball in space and, and have that back line or that front line pushing the opposing back line forward to give Hani that space. And if um, they're not uh, going to, uh, I guess, be amenable to that, you're going to have opportunities to run in behind. And that makes for exciting soccer. And you know what? Though we've both advocated for this team to go out and like lose three two or whatever, if that's what it's going to take, <laughs> I think I think uh, the the Nashville fan is going to appreciate even if there's if there's an opportunity with the ball sent long and an exciting moment, you get that that rush of the crowd a little bit. I think that helps them take take advantage of the home crowd. You get you can get them behind you. The excitement of every time something seems like it's going to happen is, is such a big part of what a home crowd is important for in soccer, and I think that can be really helpful too. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love that take. I think other teams are letting Nashville take the initiative at home. You, you saw mm-hmm. Cincinnati do it. I referenced that on last Thursday's show. 
Um, you saw, you know, Orlando do that. And Nashville's mm-hmm. having better possession at home than typically they do. And that's not just when they're chasing the game. That's in general. So it's not a venue issue for me. Obviously, the fans aren't hurting Nashville's ability to play well. It's a, it's a tactical issue that requires better patterns of play in the final third. And I think you hit a little bit right there what Nashville needs to do in that attacking third. For me, it's spreading the pitch as much as they need to look like New York Red Bulls in the repress, in the, the initial press. I think they Maybe can not that at, far. <laughs> not that far. And a little more. Channeling their inner Red Bulls. I mean, there's a reason Alex Mweel, Sean Davis, and Dax McCarty were brought in to this team. Because there are qualities of play yeah. that are shared between the two. Even if, obviously, the style is far, yeah. far, far from identical. But I think as much as they need to look like Red Bulls in the repress, in the, the attacking third, when the opponent has eight, nine guys behind the ball... I think you can look more like Orlando here and learn a lot from what Oscar Pereja does. And that's going to hurt Gary Smith to hear because, well, Oscar Pereja, based on his comments last week, might not be his favorite manager. Um, Wide posture, quick, short pings of passing and field switches to get in behind. If you look at Orlando when they're inside their attacking third, to me, they're one of the most underrated teams to watch in terms of how cohesive and entertaining they can be because it's just boom, 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 boom. Again, very descriptive. Uh, you can tell the radio guy, but but it is so crisp inside the attacking third while still maintaining their width, and it stretches the opponent. It allows Nashville to use its speed, and it gives Hani Mukhtar more space. So for me, when Nashville isn't successfully pressing, when the other team does let them have the ball inside the attacking third, and they're putting men behind the ball, that's how you succeed, Tim. I think is by widening the space and quickly throwing off the opponent instead of being so ponderous on the ball. It's like Nashville's just so maybe ponderous is the right word. Just so deliberate, almost to the point of being ineffective. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you see that, um, especially we talk so much about how important Hani Mukhtar is in transition, but when they're settled in the final third, you see this inability to think of anything other than get the ball to Hani and let him cook a little bit. And I think moving the ball quicker, even if he ends up on it, you know, every other pass, Moving the ball quicker, there are going to be more ideas and more openings where it's not just such a a Mukhtar-centric situation. All right, so question number three then. Who's the most important player besides Hani for the stretch run? We had a question last week asking maybe if it was Dax. And Mm -hmm. we both said we reject that in actuality, but the premise of the question is strong, that Dax is really important to what this team does right now and has been this season is it him? Is it is it somebody else? Who do you think is the most important player that will define this final stretch for Nashville? Yeah, I think I think who it needs to be. Uh, there are two options, and one of them you already mentioned, Jacob Schaffelberg, because of the speed, because of what he can do to stretch the field a little bit. That's really important. I think the other main option for me is Sam Surridge. This club needs somebody other than Hani Mukhtar to score. We saw Surridge do it basically with ease in the League's Cup, and it mm-hmm. really hasn't come to fruition since. If you can find somebody who puts the ball into the back of the net, uh, reports indicate that that's pretty important to winning soccer games. And if Surridge is that guy, or if it's Schaffelberg, whose style obviously is is part of what makes him important, Surridge important just because he's the guy who who you expect to be in the right spots and finish the plays. So I, I think you could make an argument for either of those two, simply because of what we said before. Um, I just think it doesn't matter if you go out and lose 4-3. So I think it has to be yeah. an attacking player, and it has to be a pure attacking player for mine. I'm going to choose somebody who I want to be an attacking player. Even if he's not. Is, that, is that fair? Does that still work with your premise? And it's also maybe the cliche choice. It's Walker. Mm-hmm. And I think Nashville needs both Walker Zimmermans. Um, they need Zimmer, the one Zimmerman. Zimmerman. <laughs> they need both Walker Zimmerman. It's beautiful. I love that. 
Uh, defensive solidity number one is what they get pretty much every time out. I mean, he he not only doesn't often make game defining mistakes, uh, but he often does make game defining defensive plays. His ability on the ball has gotten so much better for this team. I don't need to sit here and tell you what Walker does well defensively, but I think to really go above and beyond their aspirations, they need some set piece goals, man, mm-hmm. from him. I mean, that's the that's the cheat code. That's the shortcut to kickstarting your attack. Yeah. Because if you get one of those, then the other team has to really open up and 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 try to to chase, and then you have more space to capitalize yeah. on those mistakes. And you you mentioned you mentioned the summer of soccer a little while ago, that twenty twenty one season. People forget it was exciting soccer, but the set piece was such an important part of how Nashville was getting leads, how they were maintaining leads, how they were finding late winners. And I think Walker can, can provide that, uh, you know, reports indicate Walker Zimmerman can score <laughs> on a set piece. But I think when you do have those set pieces, it, it, it makes the, the run of play offense much easier too. He's massive right now. He has to, he has to step in and, and be what he has been for several years now in Nashville, uh, perhaps more than ever. To, to give this team that extra little shortcut, that extra little boost to, to getting goals on the board. I, I do believe, you know, I, I, you'll reject the premise of this maybe. But if they get a goal or two, the floodgates could open for this team. Yeah. I'm not no, saying I, I absolutely goals, agree with but, that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I didn't know if that was too feelings ball for you, you know, but. Well, I mean, some of it is, is this, this club is set up to get, get a lead. Um, have the opponent try to score and then get out in transition. That uh, having a lead is is perfect for how this club wants to play. And I think once they get back to how they want to play, it will make it easier for them to to adapt their game to other situations as well. All right. So we've gone from three questions that will define the rest of Nashville's campaign. In a minute, we'll go to three words for every remaining Eastern Conference playoff contender in the top ten. Uh, putting Tim on the spot for several of these it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> I've been brainstorming. <laughs> he just scrolled down the rundown. Um, <laughs> but before that, Tim, I have a question for you. We both like spicy things. We've established that we both like spicy, spicy food, especially uh, our takes on the podcast. They are always hot, always. <laughs> the question that I am going to ask is: How spicy of, of 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 a wing or a you know boneless whatever? How spicy are you willing to go in in mixed company? Are you are you still going to go four alarm fire wings if you say are with your wife and kids out or with friends catching up or having a beer watching a game or do you moderate that a little bit if you're trying to actually be you know social? Um, I guess the easiest way to put it is I do not uh, make considerations for my company when I make those food decisions. <laughs> it's probably not the way to go, honestly. But it doesn't cross my mind. Be like, oh yes, I'm in I'm in mixed company. I'll have the the buffalo rather than the lemon pepper dry rub or the nah, that's not the hot the habanero buffalo i guess yeah see i i i, I do i'm i guess maybe i'm the no it's because i'm an idiot it's, it's no i, I guess you got I'm probably right. too self-conscious because i do i mean if i'm by myself watching games at ml rose i will go with the four times hot wings they're delicious by the way and they still have flavor they're not mm-hmm. just hot for the sake of hurting you which i never understood um they're delicious but when the only thing cooling off your tongue is the snot running down your nose, it's not, it's not a great, it's, it's, it's reality. It is, gross, <laughs> but it's the truth. Then I feel like it's not great for mixed company. So if I'm watching a game, you know, it even kind of helps with the anxiety. If I'm physically in, in <laughs> oh, a little anguish. See, I'm a, I'm a big watch the game and, and anxiety drinker. I'm like, Oh, I've had twice as many beers as I was expecting <laughs> <Yep>. to. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I get when I socialize. It's just, I always have the cup in my hand, but I think I, I, I downgrade to hot and the hot mm-hmm. wings in ML Rose are still, they still have a good kick, but again, tremendous flavor and they're not quite so painful. 
I'm just <laughs> curious about that. We've gone a couple of years now, this partnership and never talked about, about that topic. So uh, ML Rose, 8th Avenue, Capitol View, Charlotte, Mount Juliet, Charlotte Avenue, that is, not Charlotte, North Carolina, yet. They're expanding east, but not that quickly. Uh, <laughs> the place to go before and after Nashville SC matches or any day that you want. Good company, good beer, good burgers, and other food. All right, Tim, getting into um, the rest of the east. We used to call this segment Outside In, that we got lazy and stopped naming things in our rundown. Um, three words for every remaining Eastern Conference playoff contender. Starting at the top, we'll alternate teams. Just want a three-word summary of where they stand, what kind of season they've had so far, what we think about them, you know, wide open to kind of how we approach mm-hmm. this. And I'll start because I wrote these down and we'll just go every other every other team through Red Bulls at 10th. Uh, for Cincinnati, I'm going to say, finally, a plan. Um, when Philadelphia came to Cincinnati, Philadelphia things started happening to Cincinnati. And you felt like for so often, even when Lucho Acosta was brought in, I think there was some skepticism because who was going to be around him? He's a great player. How are they going to fit a team that works with him? And they have. It's been brilliant. And I think you have to give credit to Cincinnati, which doesn't always feel great for people associated uh, with Nashville SC to do, or in this case, even people who cover Nashville SC impartially. impartially. But Tim, it's been really impressive to see Philadelphia generate a cohesive style of play, recruit to that, Spend some money to sign players, which financial yeah. and pull, pull players issues. over from Philly too. The guys that fit and there also fit fit in since even down to Ray Gattis. Yeah, yeah, even like a guy like that. Yeah, I think they've. It, it's okay to borrow from what others do well. You can in a league driven by parity. You can then bring in talent that can either mm-hmm. not only replicate but surpass. And since he this yeah. year at least has surpassed Philadelphia. Yeah, and I think uh, when you look at what they have done in the community, everybody was so mad for the first few years that they had this great community around FC Cincinnati and um, the team just sucked. And now that they are putting the on-field product together, it'll be interesting to see if that community can take it to the next level. All right, do you want me to just go? I'm going to go. Okay, here we go. We got Orlando. Orlando City SC, I got I got hit the gas. These are guys who mm-hmm. were, were, were good to find for most of the year. They've won 10 of their final 14 games or pending what happens, it could be 11 of their final 15 matches. This is a, a club that just kind of positioned itself to lurk and lurk and lurk and, and is in a spot that um, I think a lot of people would have thought Nashville might have been in at this, the end of this season. And that's something that speaks to to Oscar Pereja's ability to believe in staying the course. And, and Orlando has done that over the course of the year. We obviously saw it bite Nashville a week ago. So it's something that they kind of planned for and executed to perfection. It's a team that's raised its standard and played to its standard now for a few years. And that's, that's impressive to see for a franchise that got off to a rough, rough start. Um, speaking of teams that, uh, that have been consistent and, and played to the standard Philadelphia uh, curtain always raised. Uh, that, that's a pun. Jim Curtin, of this course, is, is their is, manager. This is when he goes to the casino. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Atlantic city, not far away. Uh, and then, yeah, he's, he's hitting on, on 15 and, and he's not, he's actually busting. He's hitting on like 14 where you think they might finally win one and it's 22 every time. Um, five straight top three finishes. If they can hold off Columbus and new England, even if they don't do that, it's spiritually a top, you know, a top finish, a top season for them. Um, the question of course is, can they hang around for the curtain call, if you will, to extend the pun and actually, you know, win something, which they've still not won MLS cup almost did of course last year, but we're seeing a, a club and union who again, like Orlando, but a few years further along now, uh, have, have built something that is consistent. They have identity and, uh, they've gone from being 
consistently rough to consistently good to consistently great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I I don't think there's anything that you could say to criticize Philly that feels unfair, even though they are not, uh, you know, the top team or one of the top couple teams in the East this year. Uh, That's tough to say that they've done anything wrong, really. Um, Next up, we've got Columbus. I, I, I had a tough one. Uh, with this one, it's got to be something about about Nancy um, being the guy for them. Um, and I couldn't think of an alliteration or a pun that would make that make sense. But um, yeah, for Columbus, it's it's about um, Wilfred Nancy winner. There you go. That's good enough. Um, and he has imparted his style upon this group so fast. Obviously, uh, he was awesome in Montreal, despite uh, probably not the sort of talent that you would expect him to have. And it's been uh in Columbus, exactly the project that I think everybody thought he was looking for and, and he's found success with. More on Wilfred Nazi in a minute. Going to New England, what might have been? Um, on August 2nd, Bruce Arena was placed on administrative leave for an incident we still don't know much about. Uh, at that point, New England was 12-4-7 with seven clean sheets. Since then, 2-4-3 with just one clean sheets. There's been more turmoil there than just his departure, but as a direct result of that departure. And uh, as a result, the only two teams, the only uh, four teams in the East who've been worse than New England in their last 10 matches, Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, and Tim, Nashville. Yeah. Not, not think, a great stat there, but. <laughs> yeah. I think it. I would never advise uh, selling Georgie Petrovic. <laughs> I think that, that is probably the clean sheet issue there is, yeah. is that they no sure. longer have the best keeper in league history. But um, yeah, it's. You can also look at Bruce Bruce's departure and and say that played a big role in it, but the the reality is New England is where they are now, and I think it's probably over the course of their body of work fair for them. Up next, we've got Atlanta. Um, I, this is going to be a, actually a spicy take. We should go back and and redo okay. the wing ad read here, but five stripe frauds for me. I think Ooh. this team is not very good. If it's not Tiago Almada doing it, they are not very good offensively. They are not good defensively. Of course, on the bright side for them. They do have Tiago Almada. They don't have to worry what life is like without him, at least not yet. So it's a situation where, you know, they can they can just ride a hot hand. We've seen Nashville do that with Honey Mukhtar, maybe less so this year. But in previous years, Nashville has been able to find success while over-relying on one guy. And I think Almada is that guy for Atlanta. But outside of him, this is a, a club that I do not think is very good. I mean, I saw it best on Twitter. A United supporter saying recently, we haven't won a big game since 2018. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a club that we have in our minds in the upper echelon of this league, they're not bad, but I would agree. They're, they're kind of fool school. They're like a really good looking dessert that ends up just being sugar with no flavor to it. A lot of exciting attack without a lot of substance. Uh, Montreal. I'll say continuity is key in this league. If you have a good manager and you have good players, keep them unless you can sell them for a major profit. Now selling Georgie Mihailovic, selling Alistair Johnston, Good for you, Montreal. Any team in the league does that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. The loss of Wilfred Nancy, that's the hurtful thing. That's and, and by all accounts, you know, he's a guy who was part of the fabric of that club for years and just didn't get along with ownership. Not gonna lay blame there, but Nancy widely respected in this league. Led them to second last year at 65 points. This year just 41. Um, they lost three of their top four scorers. Alistair Johnson on that list, actually, uh, with four goals last year after uh, did not doing much of that in Nashville. Continuity is key, and Montreal's not been able to have that. They're still on the cusp of, of playoff position, probably playing a little more to where their payroll would, would say they should be instead of overachieving in second place like they did last year. 
All right, I got DC United. I'm going to say limp to finish. Uh, mm. I'm going to ignore their their week 34 match because they are the only club that is completely done playing. Before that, uh, they went one, five, and four in their their almost final ten games. Uh, they were comfortably in playoff position before that. Um, it's a situation where you cannot take your foot off the gas. It's funny because people say, "Oh, the games don't matter in Major League Soccer." There's so many of them. Everybody makes the playoffs. DC United is is very much a counterexample to that because they were set up to succeed uh, to at least make the playoff field, if not be you know a top four seed or anything like that. And you saw that you cannot take your foot off the gas at the end of the year. One five and four is in fact ten games. Uh, and Wayne Rooney, that whole project, like I just I never really felt like that was going to be a long term fix. And when they started bringing players in to fit his tactical style, you're like, well, I guess you should do that for your manager, but. Maybe only if you think your manager is going to be around for you know more than a couple of years. Just always felt it always felt weird. Um, it, yeah, it's always felt weird to me. Maybe it's the Arsenal in me, uh, not like the <laughs> United guy. Uh, finally, Red Bulls. Time for changes? Question um, mark. They're risking making the playoff, missing the playoffs for the first time since two thousand nine. I think there are two options here for them: more investment or revised style. And I don't think we're going to see them change playing style anytime soon. But uh, Tim, I also don't know if they're going to invest in talent like they used to. Thierry Henry's not walking through that door. <laughs> An extreme example there. But I think they've they've kind of found their place within the Red Bull global system, right? They're not Salzburg. They're not Leipzig. There might be a step above Brazil. I don't know. But they're, they're a development club. And I don't know if that changes, but I think something's going to have to change if they want to get back to being the consistent team that they've really not been this year. Yeah, I actually think a style change would make sense for them because, yes, they do fit as to, as a part of the global Red Bull brand, but Red Bull isn't really buying a ton of these guys left and right from, from their own organization, obviously, but guys aren't moving up like they were even three or four years ago through the system. It might make sense to play a bit more of a, a style that is not you know essentially Jesse Marsh ball because you'll produce more complete players for the parent organization anyway, and we're seeing that the all chaos all the time method is is no longer producing the players that the parent organization wants, nor is it producing results. I think it might make more sense to say, okay, we'll diversify a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe Brazil can be the the chaos team, and we can be a team that tries <laughs> yeah. to be a bit more of a you know a Philly Union, which is obviously a way downstream version of like the Liverpool idea of possessing and pressing. Um, maybe we can do something a little bit different to to insert a new kind of pathway through our organization for some of these guys. It'll be interesting to see what they choose to do. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the final two matches for Nashville SC. New England and Red Bulls come into town. You should come to ML Rose before or after those games. Moon Taxi provided the music for you today at the beginning and end of the show. Uh, Hop on right now. Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the bottom. Give us a five-star rating and a review. We will read it on the show. Subscribe to the show as well so we can hit your feed right away. Tell a friend about us. Give us each a follow on Twitter. He's at Club Country USA. I'm Wes Bowling TN. That's uh, like the sport without the W. Tim, any, anything you want to leave the folks with today? No, just uh, I know, and I've given this kind of spiel a little bit. It stinks when the, when the team isn't playing as well as you want, but I think there's there are plenty of reasons to stick behind this club and and hope for success in the playoffs this year and, and potentially even expect or, or you know, it's not a, a pipe dream to hope for success in the postseason. Very eager to see what happens and we'll be with you for every step of it. Talk to you soon.